2: It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor.
0: Oh my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have
2: seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Now in.
0: And a very good Thursday afternoon to you, T.C. Martin with you. Jam-packed show today coming your way. We're going to talk some UNLV runner-rebel hoops with the head coach, Kevin Kruger. He will join us a little bit later on in the show. Kalani Brown, the newest member of the Las Vegas Aces. Yes, she will join us today. And uh, meet and greet Kalani Brown the uh, former national champion at Baylor first round draft pick and the newest member of the Las Vegas Aces occupying uh, the center position uh, for the Aces at 6 foot 7 so we'll talk to her Scott Spritzer will join us next hour as well too talk a little handicapping in the college basketball side and the NBA returns as well tonight here so uh, look forward to that but uh, the news obviously is Major League Baseball, and we play that open, and uh, yes, we thought we'd be having some spring training games by now, but we've been talking a lot about this, following this up. Uh, Steve Sachs joined us uh, yesterday, and uh, I want to start the program off uh, with uh, Bob Nightingale joining us uh, from the USA Today. Bob uh, does a great job, as, as we know, for a long time with the USA Today, and uh, on the scene reporting the latest with the Major League Baseball lockout. Uh, Bob, uh, how you doing, my friend?
1: Yeah, good. You see, yeah, the uh, negotiations ended for the day. Uh, I don't anticipate anything uh, much has happened, but kind of wait the news. Right, uh, four, straight day, four straight days, four straight days at now.
0: Exactly. So, and uh, I was going to preface that with that, uh, Bob, that uh, you know, Bob has been covering this thing like he does with with all Major League Baseball, and and unfortunately, Bob, this is not the first time you've been covering a lockout, so uh, you, there could be breaking news at any point in time. So, uh, Bob could be you know uh, dropping this call in a heartbeat if uh, some breaking news happens here. So, I appreciate you taking the time here today Bob and I wanted to get you on you know right away because we have been talking uh, a, a lot about this as we're we're missing major league baseball and uh, like you said the sides uh, met today for a fourth straight day if a deal is not reached by Monday uh, opening day which is March the 31st is in jeopardy uh, which means no a hundred and sixty two game schedule, which means everyone, uh not just owners but uh, players are going to be losing a lot of money and more importantly, Bob, I think the way I look at it and a lot of people that love baseball look at it, is another black eye for baseball so I, I know you're on the lockout watch here. Um, what can you tell us uh, that uh, that either transpired you know today or you know the last four days?
1: Yeah, just very little movement. Uh, very disappointed. They probably made more progress when they're in New York, just talking to each other once every uh, 10 days or so. Uh, yeah, they've been together, you know, about a dozen players, uh, 20 players have been down there, a few owners talking back and forth. But no one's really made that big move yet to uh, you know get things going. So you know that's going to happen. It's got to happen sometime this weekend. Mm-hmm. Now I know MLB says if we're going to have a deal Monday where the regular season will be uh, games be canceled. Yeah, I think if they're close enough, they can push it back. You know, for a few days and squeeze in spring training as fast as they can to make sure there's a hard season game season. I don't think anybody wants an abbreviated season. I don't care if it's just you know four games or ten games. Uh, you know, people want to start this thing on time. We're already going to miss two, you know, two weeks of spring training games,
0: right? And the thing about it is, you know, we've gone through these work stoppages uh, before, and then even you know with COVID, where we had you know the debate on how long the uh, the season was going you know to be two years ago, and you know no one uh, was was happy about you know a shortened season with that as well too. It just seems like there's always something, and obviously the pandemic is kind of a standalone thing, but you would think, Bob, from you know the disastrous pass that Major League Baseball has gone through. I mean, this is the ninth work stoppage that we've seen. And we go back to 1972, 73, 76, 1980, uh, 81, 85, 90, uh, and then, of course, 94, which was pretty uh, pretty darn disastrous, too. Why are we going through this again? Because we would think that Major League Baseball would learn from its past mistakes, Right.
1: Yeah, they should have started negotiations last summer, you know. Uh everybody waited so long. You know, now, you know, this is the first time they met even three straight days, let alone four. Right. Uh so yeah, I mean it's you know, it's a it's a uh a nightmare for uh fans. Uh you're know, losing fans already. Uh what the Gen Z poll has uh, baseball as uh sixth most favorite sport, even behind beach volleyball, uh lowest rated World Series of all time last year. Uh, four straight years of tennis down. They better get careful. Uh, the mess around here, those fans aren't coming back.
0: And why do you think that is? I mean, is it just that the the game is too slow, the changes, or the, lo- the season's too long, or does it have something to do with... The nonsense that, that uh, long-time baseball fans have been suffering through, these work stoppages, these lockouts, uh, the labor disputes. I mean, even when they didn't lose games, there was always this negativity that, uh, you know, th- th- these sides were never on the same page here. And then, you know, we- we've got debates with past commissioners, and then we talk about the Hall of Fame, and then we talk about steroids, and this and that. Is it all the above, Bob, That that ratings are down, and this is the sixth most popular sport? I mean, do we realize how... How crazy this sounds? That our national pastime is the sixth most favorite sport behind hockey and beach volleyball, probably even pickleball pretty soon.
1: Yeah, probably cornhole's next. You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but
1: yeah, it's a uh I, yeah, I don't think it's cuz of work stoppages cuz it's been 26 years. Right. Uh I just think the uh, the pace of play is so slow. I mean, what is it? six or 7 minutes now. Uh before balls or even put in play. Everything's home run, strike, walk out, strike out, walk. It's just, uh, you know, too much, uh, too much inaction. You know, it's like someone told me if, if the NFL was the same way as baseball, you'd have, you know, Tom Brady and some, you know, quarterbacks throw a bomb on every play. Hey, they'll hit maybe twice a game, but the rest is just dull, you know, in, uh, incomplete passes. And that, you know, the beauty about NFL and football is the, uh, is the drive. And, you know, in in baseball, we love the
0: rally. We don't even see rallies anymore. That's right. Uh, Bob Nightingale joins us uh, from USA Today, and we're talking about the Major League Baseball lockout. The side's met for a four-straight day today. Uh, The details, we haven't got got clearly yet, but like Bob said, uh, they're done for the day, and uh, we're hoping there's progress. And like I said, this is the first time they've met uh, four straight days. Bob, of all your years that you've been covering Major League Baseball, in your opinion, what is the severity of this lockout in comparison to ones in the past?
1: Well, no regular season games have been canceled, so it's okay. I mean, I think if you did a survey of the casual sports fan, 90% of the fans didn't know there was a lockout right. until the day after the World Series. I mean, the day after the Super Bowl. Hmm. It's like, you know, what do you mean there's no spring training? So I don't think it's caused damage yet, but I think it, uh, uh, it will. It, it will if they miss games.
0: This is TC, take- I got to run on this. Yes, I know you do my friend uh, go cover it and we'll be uh we'll be reading your story. I appreciate you taking a few minutes today, brother. Appreciate you.
1: Okay. Thank care, buddy.
0: There Bye. it is. All right. So we like we said, so uh Bob Nightingale is uh, scheduled to join us today and he said, "Hey, um <laughs> you know, if uh, if breaking news happens or the <laughs> the negotiations stop for the day, I got to get going, and uh, no problem. So he had texted me right before we went on the air. He goes, oh, my gosh. He goes, they just ended. Can we push our interview back an hour? And I said, "I, I we're pretty packed today, Bob, but uh, I appreciate him joining us. So I, I wanted to at least just get a few minutes in with him just to kind of give us uh, an update on what he had heard. And like I said, so he's uh, – Um, getting ready to attend a press conference uh, right now in Jupiter, Florida to find out what transpired today. And I'm sure all the other outlets, the national media will be looking at this as well, too. And uh, we'll get more uh, information about what transpired here today, if anything. Uh, we know yesterday that both sides met for an hour and 40 minutes. Yesterday was the third consecutive day that they met. Today they decided to meet again. Um, don't have the exact time frame of how long both sides met today, but we know yesterday they met for an hour and 40, and then they um, met uh, amongst themselves. So the players' association meeting amongst themselves and the owners meeting uh, w- with themselves uh, afterwards, but still, uh, you know, nothing new here. Um, looking at the big situation here, it is a black eye for Major League Baseball. Again, even though the games have not been lost yet, it just seems like it's inevitable. And when you start your negotiations on De- – well, first of all, you could have started your negotiations going back last summer, but they tabled it till after the season um, was over. And then they said, you know what? We're not going to do anything until December 2nd. So you had the entire month of November where you did nothing. Where all you did was posture. That's it. Nothing. And knowing that you have a history of work stoppages, and we just went over the list, how many times? I mean, if you're a long-time baseball fan, you go back to the 70s and the 80s, look at how many work stoppages you had or lockouts that you had 1972 1973 1976 and a lot of people say well how can you have you know a a, a lockout back to back years is because you know these agreements are normally five, uh, four or five six year agreements and back in those days they could not come to an agreement they said well you know what let's let's just keep going with the existing agreement and We'll, we'll go ahead and play ball in good faith. And it didn't work out that way. So, 72, you've got a lockout. 73, you got a lockout. 76, you got a lockout. 1980, you got a lockout. 1981, you got a lockout. Think about that. I mean, five lockouts in a span of nine years. Then you got 85. Then you got one in 90, which was pretty serious. And then the big one in 1994, where you lost over 100 games. Why are we going through this again? Now, a lot of fans say, well, it's pretty good. Haven't had one since 1994. But when you hear guys that are regulars on our show here, Steve Sachs, Chris Basio, Dusty Baker, and they and they say, it just, no, not again. I talked to Dusty before I came on the air here today and said, Hey man, what's what's the latest? What's what's going on? He goes, Nobody knows what they're doing here. I mean, it's just, you know, these guys Managers, players, they, they were told to report to their respective camps two weeks ago, and they're just sitting there doing nothing. Players are working out on their own, cannot have any formal workouts. Managers and coaching staffs are just basically, you know, they, they, they can't instruct, they really can't do anything. All they can do is, is basically evaluate, and they got all this free time on their hand. It is... A joke of a situation again. And granted, we haven't lost any games yet. But when you hear the threats that, okay, we got five more days, and then we are postponing the beginning of the Major League Baseball season. That means opening day is going to be gone. Opening day is March 31st. So Major League Baseball, the owners came and said, if there's not an agreement in place by Monday, February the 28th, that means we've got no opening day. Rob Manfred has come out and said that this is a serious deadline. The deadline is the, uh, for us to get the games started on March the 31st. He goes, this is a hard deadline. The deadline is a deadline. Here's the quote. After February 28th, games will be canceled. Miss games are missed games. And salary will not be paid for those games. Manfred said also during the owners' meetings two weeks ago that based on injury data and the league's experience during the pandemic-shortened 2020 season, that spring training has to be four weeks long. We'll not have it any shorter than four weeks because they're afraid of injuries. So Major League Baseball chose its deadline for a deal with the belief that February 28th is the latest possible date to get training camps open by March the 3rd. So if they can come to an agreement, and they're going to be meeting now every day, we've seen four straight days, that they're going to continue to meet over the weekend, and Monday I probably anticipate another long session, but the sides still are way too far off. Um, If this season doesn't open on March the 31st, the commissioners also saying that any canceled games would not be rescheduled as the a constant presence of interleague games would make it unfeasible to reschedule them as double headers. That's another thing, you know, with interleague play and the travel and all this other stuff that you got here and you try and want to have, you know, a balanced, you know, interleague play, you don't want to mess up division games. And that's why we saw what we saw in the pandemic shortened season of 2020, where it was basically just... You know, division play only. That's that's all they had. That's all you saw. So, it's a mess. And for a lot of people, they're not really taking it real serious because, okay, who cares about spring training? Well, if you like major league baseball, and if you're a player, or you're a manager, you're a fan, you're a coach. I mean, you're 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 getting ready to miss some some paychecks right now. We talked about yesterday some of the higher paid players like Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole who are going to miss out on. Over two hundred thousand dollars a day. Now I know a lot of Major League Baseball fans don't like to hear that because they they're sick and tired of the salaries that these guys are making, especially for pitchers who don't you know they don't pitch every day, you know, don't always show up to the park every day. But that's not per game for a pitcher. That's per day, calendar day that these guys are going to lose out on that. And so most of us don't feel sorry for those guys. Most of us don't feel sorry for owners. They feel, ah, oh, they make enough money as it is. Not always the case, you know, especially, you know, with some of the smaller market teams, you know, that don't have highly attended, uh, you know, games like the Oakland A's, like the Florida Marlins, like the Tampa Bay Rays. It's it's not like they're making the kind of money that the Yankees and the Cubs and the Red Sox and the Giants and the Dodgers are making, no, because those are tied into major market television deals, regional TV deals. And, yeah, sure, Major League Baseball spreads out its money with the national TV deals, but the local TV deals and the sponsorships, that's what fuels the high-priced salaries and these teams that can spend the money. So, yeah, Major League Baseball is a mess. It's, it's a mess because it doesn't have a salary cap. It's a mess because they don't know how to bargain with each other. And as Steve Sachs said yesterday, just so vehemently and passionately that it's it's sickening. And for former players, it it just really drives you nuts. Sachs said yesterday, and you go back and listen to the interview from yesterday, he said it caused him to retire early. When he went through the strike, going back in 1990, in 94, and the work stoppages, I've done. I, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm losing the love of the game. And what is all this about? Well, it's several issues, but none of them are they seem to be major issues. Minimum salary. All right, The league made a proposal for a $640,000 minimum salary for this season and in in the season of 2022. One that would increase by $10,000 in each of the four successive seasons, the $69,500 raise from the current minimum would be more than twice as much as the 27 dollars increase they had in the last collective bargaining agreement. That's a 12% raise compared to the 5% in the last CBA. So why is a deal not done yet? Why is a deal not done yet? If, the minimum salary, basically, both sides agreed to all right, $640,000. Okay. I mean, it's a little excessive. And look how this thing has jumped year after year after year. six hundred forty. dollars Now, the players came out, you know, a, a few weeks back and said, nah, we want this thing at $700,000. But they got it down to six forty, dollars which is more than it has ever been. And like we said, it's a substantial increase. And you're going to get a $10,000 per year increase in the next four seasons. Again, that's a that's a huge gift, as I'll say, or concession by the owners. What, and, and for a, a rookie, a first-year player coming to the league, hey, I'm going to make 640000 Like we talked to Steve Sachs, he was making under 100000 well under a hundred thousand. We came in the league in nineteen eighty-one. <laughs> Six hundred forty thousand for never playing a major league baseball game. That's what you're going to get for your very first year. There's other major issues that they can't agree on, uh, but but most of them, they seem really minor for the average baseball fan. And again, you know, service time looks like we have you know that's. That thing is, you know, we, we you know, they, they agreed from, you know, six years to five years. Okay. Thought the players would never agree to go down, you know, from six years to five years. But they did. So what is taking this long? So we just got off the phone with Bob Nightingale. Uh, and again, Bob is attending the press conference there in Jupiter, Florida right now. Uh, he just, uh, uh, sent this note out saying a little movement once again today during the negotiations with both sides showing frustration, cut off the meetings early, and uh, there you have it. So, again, not much more to report here as the clock continues to tick on whether we're going to have Major League Baseball opening day. Do you care or not? Do you care? Interested to hear from our listeners here 702 221 seventy two eighty three if you you know do you care if if we miss any major league baseball here is it a big deal to you or not? You know some fans love the game of baseball. I love the game of baseball. heck, I love spending my summers at the ballpark, and most of you know that you know when I got that time to to take uh during the summer for vacations, my vacations are spent at ballparks. That's where it is because I love my Major League Baseball. It killed me in 2020 not to to go see any games. Last year it was back. That was great. But, you know, we knew this thing was coming. And why does it take so darn long to put a a deal together? Or not even to put a deal together, but why does it take so much inactivity before we start having these conversations? December 1st, all right? That's when you're, you should have got this thing going, but you didn't. You waited till the beginning of February, and nothing really happened in the beginning of February. It's like ah, uh, you know, we'll just wait on this thing. We'll just wait. We'll continue to wait. Just ridiculous, totally ridiculous. All right, so we'll continue to uh, keep an eye on that coming up here in the in the next few days. But uh, will we have baseball March thirty first opening day? And that March thirty first, it's. It's 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 early too, isn't it? I mean we used to have opening days around April the 10th or so. And then it got, you know, pushed up a little bit earlier to around the 5th of the 4th, and then all of a sudden now it's April 1st. Now it's March the 31st. And that's what it is because players need to have a few more days off. That was all part of the bargaining sessions as well too going back to the to the last CBA. You know, they don't want these guys playing 7 days a week. They don't want to play in 6 day uh 6 days a week. They would like him to have at least two off days uh, per week. But obviously, that can't happen. So, it's crazy. It is one of those sports that drives you nuts. And what is the reason why we love football so much? Do we love football so much because there is more of a competitive balance? Because there is a salary cap? Is that why? Makes sense. Or is it just because... You always want or appreciate less is more, meaning 17-game schedule was 16. Going back in the day, it was 14. But less is more, where it's like, okay, we're playing one game a week, and it means everything. And from the month of September to the first or now second weekend in February when we have the Super Bowl – that's it. We, we love it. We crave it because you have a little bit uh, of, of a shortened season. Major League Baseball, you have saturation. Pace of play, I'm not buying that because the pace of play has always been that way with Major League Baseball. Always. Never been a problem. You didn't hear people say, I don't like baseball, you know, going back in the you know 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. You never heard that. 90s. You never heard that. When do we hear it? In the last decade, what the video game era? That's when we started to hearing. Too many other things to do, many more you know television channels to watch, streaming live on your phone, playing games, doing all that kind of stuff. What is it? It's not like kids are going out or parents are taking their kids outside to teach them the game of baseball, or going on bike rides and doing that sort of thing. I don't, what is it? What, what is it, Why is it with pace of play is such a hot-button topic now? We need to speed this up or whatever. Major League Baseball games have always taken anywhere from two hours and 45 minutes to three and a half hours. But it's been totally fine going back decade after decade after decade. It was totally fine. So why now all of a sudden do people say, well... The ratings are down. No one likes Major League Baseball. People aren't going to the park. It's the sixth most popular sport. Why? Because pace of play. Really? I appreciate Major League Baseball listening and trying to speed things up because there are some things that are are really total nonsense in Major League Baseball. Like Again, how many visits to the mound do you really need to have from a catcher or from an infielder coming in to come and talk to a pitcher while he has his glove over his mouth? While he's whispering to him. I mean, how many times you got to retreat back to, you know, the dugout, you know, get a broken, you know, replace your bat or whatever. Okay. That, that, that stuff happens. But yeah, the mound visits is, is, is a concern. It's definitely not really the time in between half innings because they've scaled that down. It's basically two minutes. So that's not bad. No. It's not like major league baseball players are, are are taking a whole bunch of pitches. We're seeing we're seeing more swings and misses and more strikeouts than we've ever seen. So, I don't know. It just seems like a younger generation just does not they're not latching on to the the, the sport of baseball. Is it better than than basketball? I mean, Bob Nightingale just said. He said, "Well, it's, you know, if, if we had football and you're throwing bombs all the time, it'd be okay, one thing. It kind of reminded me of the NBA with the art of the three-point shot where everybody thinks they're a three-point shooter. You can just step behind the arc and launch and fire at will. And uh, how's that product? Uh, we talk about it all the time with our NBA guests here on, on the product of the NBA. It's more unappealing now than it has been in recent years because everybody thinks they're a three-point shooter. When do we tune into the NBA? We're not tuning in on a regular basis. Have you seen the ratings for TNT's coverage or ESPN's coverage during the week on Tuesday and Thursday nights, Wednesday nights, Friday nights? It's not much. No. NBA playoffs, okay, depending on the matchups. But if you're not going to have LeBron James, you're not going to have Steph Curry, you're not going to have the Warriors, you're not going to have the Lakers, it'll be interesting to see what ratings will be like later on. But yeah we tune into the nba finals we tune into the world series but for longtime baseball lovers yeah you want to see baseball you just want to you want to see these guys just come to grips and not be so egotistical number 1 but you just don't want them to see greedy get rid of the greed okay for the betterment of the game for the fans if you care about the fans like you say you do then come to an agreement let's play ball Let's play some ball here in the spring, in the summer, and let's have the fall classic on time. All right, we come back. We start talking some basketball. Like I said, Kevin Kruger is going to join us next hour. Scott Spreitzer will be hitting a lot of college basketball in hour number two. When we come back, you're going to get a chance to meet the newest member of the Las Vegas Aces.
3: Hi, this is Bill Ambeer, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show.
0: All right, we're still a ways away from the start of the WNBA season. And, of course, looking forward to that. Yeah, we don't have to worry about any work stoppages with that. Not like we're dealing with Major League Baseball right now. (laughs) Yes, looking forward to the Aces. And uh, looking forward to getting back to the Michelob Ultra Arena and the Mandalay Bay. Season will get underway. You can get your season tickets at access.com. And get ready for the Las Vegas Aces coming your way here uh, beginning of May. Looking forward to that. And uh, we've got to welcome in a brand new member, the newest member of the Las Vegas Aces. She is six foot seven and had herself a fantastic career, a college career at Baylor. She was a first round pick going back three seasons ago, the number seven overall pick of the Los Angeles Sparks, and now she's here to Vegas. She made the right choice. She finally saw <laughs> the the bright side, got out of the dark side there in L.A. Kalani Brown, Kalani, what's happening? Hi. Welcome to Las Vegas. Thank
4: you, thank you.
0: So I got to tell you, I saw you play at Baylor. I was I was impressed, and I just I called you a beast when you were at Baylor in a good way. Okay, a total beast on on the floor, and you probably heard that before. But um, and I remember going back to. The draft, and I remember talking to Bill Lambeer when we had our draft party uh, with the Aces going back, you know, three seasons ago. And I was thinking, "Mm, do you think Kalani Brown is going to end up, you know, with the Aces? And you know, Bill wanted to go a little bit more guard oriented or whatever, but uh, your your name was definitely circulating. uh, And again, you came off that national championship season at Baylor and uh, Mm -hmm. you went to the Sparks. But uh, but now here we go. All things uh, good here. And now you're a member of the Aces. How you feeling about this?
4: I feel great. I'm already feeling all the love coming from Vegas. And I can already tell this is a an organization unlike any other. So I'm excited. <laughs> all
0: right. So for a lot of people that don't know you, I kind of like to, you know, this is the first time that you and I have got a chance to talk. So I like kind of, you know, introduce you to to the aces fans and kind of get a chance to, to know you, a lot of people may not know that you're actually the daughter of former NBA player and, and champion back in this, uh, with the Celtics back in the day, PJ Brown. And a lot of people uh, remember PJ Brown, uh, from, you know, his playing days, not only with uh, the Celtics when he won a championship in in 2008, but with the Miami heat. And I mean, your dad played what? 16 seasons in the NBA. Um, I always talk a lot, Kalani, about second generation athletes that I think that they have an advantage as far as like being around the game at an early age and kind of growing up around gyms and that sort of thing. And they're usually much more mature than a lot of other players. Was it that way for you growing up? Um, and what was your experience like, you know, watching, watching your dad? I know you were very, very young at the time, but just coming from an yeah. NBA family.
4: Um, I would have to say um, it was basketball was always a part of my life, but my parents did not push me into basketball. They let me fall in love with the game on my own. Um, so I remember watching, I remember the locker room when you won a championship and they were throwing champagne everywhere and it got in my eye. It was kind of tragic, but <laughs> no, nah, it was a great time. <laughs> um, no, nah, it was a great time and um, it sparked my love for the game. Um, but my dad did not push me into it. You know, I thought I was going to be a dancer until up until I sprouted to six five, and then my mom was like, "Okay, babe, we got to figure out something else to do." <laughs> um, but basketball—I I have always like had basketball lingering. It's just my parents never pushed me into it, um, or inspired me to be the next basketball player. They let me make that decision on my own. So,
0: <laughs> at what age did you start playing basketball, and then when did it really turn competitive for you, or you said, "Okay, I, I may have a future here"?
4: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I started playing at six years old and I think it got really uh, serious for me and I made a decision, told my parents I wanted to play seriously around eighth and ninth grade, the summer transitioning to my freshman year of high school. And I was like, yeah, like I want to do this competitively, I think.
0: (laughs) So how tall were you going into the ninth grade?
4: So I went
0: from 5'11 to 6'4
4: in one summer. One summer?
0: <laughs> that, what are you eating there, summer? girl? I know you're from Louisiana. What were you eating there? What were the Browns family feeding you? Everything. You know, we don't miss meals in Louisiana. <laughs> I don't know if you've been, but,
4: you know, <laughs> one summer, uh, 5'11 to 6'4. And I came, I remember coming back to school, everybody was like, whoa, like what happened? <laughs> is
0: this Is this the same girl? That's what they were saying, right?
4: Right, right.
0: (laughs) Uh, So how much do you remember of your dad's career when he played in the NBA? Uh,
4: I remember as far back to Charlotte. I was young, about six years old. And back then it was more so about checking daddy's schedule, see if he's here on my birthday and here on Christmas. You know, it wasn't really like uh, basketball oriented, but I remember little things like that. I remember Oklahoma City, that was – during the Katrina time when they moved the Hornets to um, Oklahoma City right. temporarily, um, Chicago, I remember Chicago, um, and Boston, yeah. I remember quite a lot. Like, I paid attention as a kid because I'm, I'm I'm a daddy's girl, so I'm like, me and my dad were always attached at the hip, you mm-hmm.
0: know? <laughs> so you got to partake a little bit in that uh, championship celebration in, in, with the Celtics in 2008,
4: huh? Yeah, I was – It was very late. We were really cranky because we were tired. We didn't necessarily (laughs) understand the severity of the situation, Uh, being kids and everything. But looking back, it's like, (laughs) yes.
0: So, you know, we go, we see, we've seen a lot of, of the athletes, especially the basketball players. We'll see, we've seen Steph Curry with his kid on his lap and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and you see that, you know, were you one of those kids that had confetti coming down, you know, in your hair where, where, where daddy had you on, on his shoulders and that sort of, were you one of those kids that were, you know, while PJ was being interviewed that, that there you were like waving to the camera? I never made it to any press conferences,
4: although um uh, my little brother is um on his shoulders during the celebration. You can see him reaching for the trophy. But don't worry, I was like I was like wrapped around his legs at the bottom. <laughs> Unfortunately I was not the baby. So if I was the baby for sure, but Um, no, but I'm always, I was probably wrapped around his leg in
0: the crowd. She's Kalani Brown. She's the newest member of the Las Vegas Aces. Uh, she's been in the WNBA with three seasons played overseas as well. And, uh, she was the number seven overall pick out of Baylor in uh, 2019 by the Sparks played with the Atlanta dream as well. And now, uh, she'll begin her first season with the Aces Kalani. Talk about, uh, the transition and how that all worked out for you to end up here in Las Vegas.
4: Uh, it's so crazy because you know, Asia was like really rooting for me, wanting me to come to Vegas. And I text her and I was like, Hey, it's not a timing that we wanted, but it came around full circle. And we were just laughing about that. Um, but yeah, um, I I was at first to come full circle is kind of crazy. Um, I was like, Third time's a charm, you know, Mm -hmm. Atlanta. I was in Atlanta the last two years. Um, and so now I'm getting a new chance, new team, fresh start, like I'm ready, you know.
0: When you go back to that draft day and I know that you knew that you were going to be one of the highly, you know, selected, uh, you know, draftees, did you have a place in mind where you wanted to go or you thought you would go?
4: Um, I thought I would go 1, 3 or 5 and that was um Vegas, right. Dallas and Indiana. Um, Because those were the coaches that spoke to me. And then all of a sudden, uh, I got picked by Los Angeles, which was so weird because it said they needed a wing, and then they picked the center. So (laughs) so it was a complete shock to everybody, uh, myself included.
0: So the Aces selected Jackie Young, because I remember that draft, right? Yeah. And that was the number one pick. So be honest with me now, Kalani. Okay, got to give you straight up here. (laughs) Did you hold a little grudge against Bill Lambert and the Aces for not selecting you number one overall? No.
4: No, I always, had, I always had positive encounters with Bill. Like, I always found him, like, super intimidating. Like, in the WNBA bubble, I walked through their practice accidentally one time, and he was like, hey! And I thought I was in, like, the most trouble. Um, but he just started laughing. He just laughed and walked away. Like, well, I've always had positive encounters, and, you know, aces have always been good to me, in a way. <laughs> uh,
0: hey, just so you know, Kalani, Bill's done the exact same thing to me, too, okay? He'd say, Hey! Get off your phone. We got to practice here. Okay, coach. I got you. No, yeah. no no, problem. So two of the same there. <laughs> and going back to your time at Baylor, because I, I was really impressed. That was the year that you guys won the national championship in 2018. You guys were 37 in, in one. Um, mm-hmm. How How much of... The comparisons did you get to, say, Brittany Griner? Because we know Brittany Griner was a great player at Baylor, and you were kind of in yeah. that same mold. Your bodies were different, though, but still, I mean, what she was, what, 6'9", you're 6'7". Did you hear a lot of those comparisons with your time there?
4: No, I feel like me, not really. Uh, BG and I just impacted the game. As far as, like, dominant bigs go, like, you know, we probably get a little comparison, but we just had completely different games, and uh, you know, BG has set records. You know, she's like miles in front of me, mm-hmm. so I've always given her respect. All right. Um, but not, not really, not really.
0: Okay. That's what. Yeah, you would think. I mean, you know, here's a couple bigs, and, and again, when yeah. you, your time there. I mean, you were averaging, you know, close to 20 points uh, per game. You know, and nearly 10 rebounds a game. You know, at your career at Baylor there, and yet, like I said, you had a great career. You played for Kim Mulkey. Now you're going to play mm-hmm. for Becky Hammond. Both of these. Are legends in their own right. Obviously, you know all about Becky Hammond and her playing days in the WNBA, and then when being an assistant right. coach, uh, you know, with the Spurs, and now getting her shot to be the head coach with the Aces, and then and then Kill mulkey I mean, w- one of the best head coaches in in women's college basketball.
3: Hmm.
4: Yeah. Um, I'm excited to be. I, I'm I, from one Hall of Fame coach to another. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm excited. Um, Becky Hammond is one of the best to play this game, and um, I love playing for the greats because, you know, they see something in you that you don't even see. Like, I, I wasn't able to see my potential or how how I could impact the game, but Kim saw it, and that's why she pushed me to my limit, beyond my limit. So I expect the same from uh, Becky Hammond because they see things that we don't see. And then it's like we win something or we achieve something or, uh, you know, something of accolade comes that nobody thought you would get. And it's just like I told you, I saw the greatness. So um, it's going to be great Mm -hmm. uh, playing for Becky Hammond. I'm I'm really excited.
0: All right, Like we said, you were drafted by the Sparks uh, there for, you know, a couple seasons. How was your time there? And why do you think maybe things didn't work out there with the Sparks?
4: Um, I would say, uh, I just wasn't, I didn't fit their style of play. Um, you know, I, uh, the, the GM Penny, she really wanted to try and bring a five to LA, but LA's never really had a true five before. Um, so I had, I struggled kind of trying to fit their style of play. Um, but Derek sent me home. So he sent me home to Atlanta. That's what he told me. So I'm, I'm grateful to him for that.
0: Mm-hmm. You played overseas and had a lot of success and then you played in Turkey uh, and now again you you're signing with the aces. How much different of a player are you now compared to three years ago when you first came in the league
4: oh i'm very different i th- I would say i'm more confident I wasn't very uh confident or sure of myself three years ago I would say i'm I'm more confident shooting um I'm more confident, like, being dominant um, and doing what's acting me. Like, people will say, man, you would be so great if you would dominate. And I feel like I'm coming into my own with that um, this time around. So.
0: She is uh, Kalani Brown, the newest member of the Las Vegas Aces. What was your view of the Aces when you were playing against them over the past few seasons?
4: Uh, they're so good.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: yeah, even even I I just think they were so good and you know they would get stopped at those at that playoff um mark but I definitely deserve I, de- I definitely think the Aces deserve a championship and they get over that hump um uh, finally hopefully I can help them do that um wherever they need me um but um yeah I I played a few possessions against Liz and that was always that was always fun. Right. Um
0: <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, so
0: how much of a how much of a trash talker did uh, did you get from Liz? I mean we know Liz very, very well, obviously, but uh yeah. how how were those battles in the low post? Let's hear about it.
4: Uh, they were very uh physical. You know, Liz Liz likes to talk and I'm I'm not a talker, so I just really didn't say much to her. Yeah. Um but off off the course she's cool. Yeah. She's cool, but she's a great competitor as well. Yeah i will yeah.
0: say, I will say that we are, are going to miss her uh, definitely because she yeah. she she was a lot of fun, no doubt about that. All right, so you're in Las Vegas. Uh, how much time have you did you spend in Las Vegas you know before you know getting here as a member of the aces where did you did you spend summers here? Did you get here often or hardly at all what What's your history with Vegas? My mom loves
4: Vegas, she's been to Vegas so many times she's so excited about this. She thinks she's gonna
0: come live with me, but she's not but um, <laughs> is is mom a gambler? I, I, does mom like to play blackjack yeah, or the craps what what's she doing mom, this, this is her
4: this is her domain she loves her slot machines like this is her thing <laughs> like I had never actually been over here besides you know um playing the aces traveling through, and that's like a quick road trip you leave leaving or leaving the next day hmm. um so I actually playing a u pro sports I've actually got to um stay in Vegas long term, and actually realized that it's more than not, it's more than the strip, it's more than gambling, because I thought that's what Vegas was all about, like, if you, you had to like gambling, and you had to like the strip to be here, but Really, all the fun is off the
0: Strip. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what we tell yeah. people all the time. People they, you know, they, oh, you live in Vegas. Oh, you. Li- uh, how, how do you live on the Strip? Yeah. Well, when you live, you don't live on the Strip, you know? It's like, right. and you rarely go there unless, unless you have to, you know, for for the most part. Or as you'll find out, you know, you'll have all the visitors that will come visit you, and then they're going to, you get to play yeah. tour guide now. So, you know, that's what you're up for. Yeah.
4: Well, you know, I'm from Louisiana, so, you know, we don't do Bourbon Street, but when the people come in, like, yeah. okay, we'll take you to Bourbon Street, like, same same kind of concept, you know?
0: <laughs> what was it like growing up in Louisiana? Because uh, you were you in more of a smaller town, Louisiana? What was that like?
4: Yes. Uh, I grew up in Slidell, Louisiana. That's like t- uh, 20 minutes outside of New Orleans. Um, and it was my mom's hometown. Both my parents are from Louisiana, so I was uh, raised around a lot of family, Um and it was great. You know, Louisiana, we're Southern hospitality, baby. You know, we're going to eat good. you going to get a nice hug. Like, yeah. So we're all full of love down there. You
0: got to love it. I remember watching you at Baylor. I remember seeing your dad, seeing PJ, you know, at a lot of your games, uh, supporting you. Like you said, it makes sense when you say that you were daddy's girl. Um, how yeah. – how, how often are we going to see him and your mom uh, at the games? Are they going to be at all the games? Or do you see him relocating out here? What do you think?
4: So, you know, my dad is like a hermit. He's never liked spotlight. So you can actually – he might not – he'll probably be here, but he won't, like, let it be known. He'll, you might have to, like, take the camera and try to search the crowd for him because he likes to hide. That's how he was at Baylor. He thought he was hiding. But, yes, he had found him every time. Um, but my mom, she's going to be right there front and center – this is her, she loves Vegas, this is her city, so she's going to show me around and do this. She, she, she thinks she's going to move out here.
0: <laughs> All right, so the, I got a prerequisite here, and you can ask Asia about this, okay? So when, okay. when Asia first got here, I, uh, her mom and dad came in the studio with me, and I made them play uh, Old School Name That Tune. So you gotta tell moms and your dad that they're gonna have to come in with you uh, when w- we do a live show, and we're gonna play some old school name that tune. We're gonna test their music skills, okay? That, that that's got to be the dealio. Oh lord, okay. <laughs> I'm
4: good with that because I, I, hey, I, I'm I'm nine I'm 1997, but I'm old enough to be in kind of both the TikTok generation and the 90s babies. I'm too young young for the 90s babies, but I'm like too old for TikTok, you know?
0: Right, exactly. (laughs) I'm kind of mingling both. Okay, so if if, if we say, uh, Kalani, give me some of your favorite old school artists, what would it be? Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, look at Here we go. Look at now. This is what I'm talking about. Here we go. Pump it up. Yeah. Oh, see, we're gonna have some fun, girl. Yeah, we're gonna have some fun. There you go. <laughs> a little earth, wind, and fire. Okay, see. I, I feel you with that. Okay. I thought you were gonna come with a I, well. I thought you were gonna come with some uh well. yeah, I thought you're gonna come with some Tony 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 or something like that. You just went straight to the old school. I love it. Now I went back so you know how far I
4: go back. That's
0: I, all. I like that. I like that. <laughs> How much time have you got a chance to spend uh, with your new teammates? I know you said you were texting Asia and we know that she's uh, yeah. been around here quite quite a bit uh, during the off season. Uh Who have you met and who you've been hanging with?
4: Uh, I've met Dierga, which we, we've texted off, uh, Chelsea Gray, uh, Asia, and Kia. I met Kia last night, but I know Kia from overseas, in Turkey. Um, so yeah, I know a couple other girls. And then Jackie, I mean, we only know each other as opponents, but hopefully, you know, we can get that together. I look forward to trash talking with Jackie soon. You know, with the, uh, about the national championship. <laughs> I did it with
0: Marina already. All right, Kalani. Before we let you go, uh, and we you do we do this with uh, everybody for the first time here, okay? We're gonna um, go kind of a little little rapid fire. It doesn't have to be that quick here. Uh, as we get to know Kalani Brown here, and, and as you know. Or you don't know, but you will know that uh, food is a big part uh, of this show. We love sports, we love music, but we love food. So, what is Kalani okay. Brown's favorite food? Uh, gumbo. Gumbo. Damn. All right. All right. Uh, favorite place to go uh, here in Las Vegas. Uh, uh, Hoover Dam. Hoover Dam. Really? All right. That's a little bit different. I loved it out there. Do you know what Asia's was when she first got here? You know what she what she said? Target. She loved Target. <laughs>
4: no, there's nice targets out here. Yeah, right. That's what she, exactly.
0: exactly. There is. That's true. Right. Exactly. Favorite favorite TV show, either growing up or now or both. Let's do that. Let's do uh, back in the day and then now. Favorite TV show. Uh,
4: favorite TV show growing up probably the powerpuff girls. <laughs> powerpuff um, girls strong. That's strong. <laughs> Favorite TV show right now?
0: Euphoria. Ooh, Euphoria. That's pretty intense. Yeah. That's some intense stuff. I know. HBO. Okay. I know. Good. I like that. All right. Favorite basketball player? Besides your dad. Uh, my dad. <laughs> can I say my dad? Of course <laughs> you can. You can. But I'm going to I'm going to press you for another one. So g- give me a backup to your dad. Uh, Sylvia house. Oh, nice. Nice. Okay. All right. Favorite thing to do when you're not playing basketball? Um, Watch anime. Oh, (laughs) watch anime. (laughs) Okay. One of those. I understand. All right. There you go. All right, uh, Kalani, we appreciate the time. Um, we're looking forward to seeing you on the court here. Uh, you know, once uh practices start here, you know, down the road. But uh no, welcome to Las Vegas. I think you're gonna enjoy it. You're you're with a great franchise, as you know. Have you spent any time with Mark Davis?
4: I met him yesterday. Yesterday was my first time
0: meeting him. Right. He's
4: such a great guy.
0: Yeah see yeah mark and mark mark's a great guy to uh to share some food with as well too he won't spare any expense oh, so. yeah no doubt and i
4: love that he loves the game of women's basketball he loves women's basketball you can tell and he's all for it so i, I love that about him
0: yep no you're, you're gonna love it here uh, great organization and uh, we welcome you here and i can't uh can't wait to to meet you in person and uh and we'll have you on the show here in person here pretty soon how's that that's
4: great! I look
0: forward to it. All right, uh, enjoy your time, girl, and appreciate it. And uh, Kalani Brown, the newest member of the Las Vegas Aces, Nunchuck, what are you playing as we as send this? What does this does this song ring a bell to you? My producer thinks this is this is going to ring a ring a bell to you. What is this? There's <laughs> a karaoke time.
4: I, I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to do that for in person. You got to save
0: that for in person. Okay, that's it. That's it. We're going to go back to earth, wind, and fire now to, to go out. There we go. There we go. <laughs> All right, Kalani. Great talking to you. We'll see you soon.
4: See you
0: soon. Bye-bye. Well, there she is. Kalani Brown, 6'7", full of dynamite in the low block and the paint. Get used to her. Yes. Kalani Brown had a great career at Baylor drafted number 7 overall by the Sparks going back to 2018 and now she's a member of the Las Vegas Aces. She's going to fit very nicely with this team. Asia Wilson, Dierica Hamby, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, the rest of the Aces, Jackie Young. It's uh, it's going to be nice. So uh yeah, looking forward to seeing her play and I've got a chance to to watch her very closely not only in college but of course, you know, uh here in the WNBA as well too with her with her time with the uh, LA in yeah, it just She just didn't seem to be a a great fit there, but uh, I think she's going to get her opportunity as well now uh, here, and uh, she should be a nice nice tandem down in uh, high post, low post with Asia Wilson. Looking forward to that. All right, when we come back, we talk UNLV runner-rebel hoops. Kevin Kruger, the head coach, he joins us. The Rebels have won three in a row. They're going to try to make it four in a row. Big game Saturday at the Thomas & Mack Center against Boise State. We'll talk to Kevin about that. Scott Spritzer will join us, and we start handicapping the college board tonight. Plenty of games. We'll diagnose some winners, so don't you dare go anywhere. Now you're going to bring it up and and just put salt on the
3: wound? Will you stop yelling at me? No! Live in the entertainment capital of the world.
2: No, no, you're making me nervous, but seriously. It's the T.C. Martin Show. No, listen,
0: uh, you're making me nervous.
2: Diagnosis. Uh oh and a foul. Prognosis. Well, that's good. Osmosis. And it'll reset. Nowitzki again for the lead. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I
0: Hour number two here on this thunderous Thursday. Talking a little hoop, talking a little baseball here today. Bob Nightingale joined us in the uh, the first hour briefly as he was covering the Major League Baseball lockout in Jupiter, Florida. Still nothing to report, nothing happening with Major League Baseball. Are we going to see opening day on March 31st? Well, Monday is the deadline for that. We'll continue to follow that. Appreciate Kalani Brown joining us, the newest member of the Las Vegas Aces. A lot of fun as we expected she would be, the uh, daughter of former NBA star and NBA champion P.J. Brown. So, yeah, we'll probably expect to see P.J. at uh, Las Vegas Aces games this summer. So looking forward to that. This hour, Scott Spreitzer is going to join us. We start taking a look at tonight's college basketball docket and uh, look ahead to the weekend as well, too. But right now, we keep it local right here, the 702 Maryland Parkway. The Thomas and Mac Center. The Mendenhall Center. Do I need to keep going on and on? The UNLV runner Rebels playing some great basketball. And, of course, the head coach, our good friend Kevin Kruger, joins us now. Kevin, what's going on, my man?
2: Not too much. How are you guys doing?
0: I'm doing good, man. Doing good. But uh, I don't think I'm doing as good as you because you're sitting on a little three-game win streak, my friend.
2: Yeah, we're uh, we're having a lot of fun right now.
0: Yeah. It's showing, man. It's showing. And, uh, you know, last time we talked to you a week or so ago – um, you know, we talked about, you know, getting ready for that game against Colorado state. You came off the victory against, uh, you know, Fresno state and man, you, you gave it right back to Colorado state, just like you, you, you did, uh, you know, at their place earlier on. I was so impressive. I mean, a 14 point victory on the road, a uh, 21 point victory, you know, at home. And then, you know, you follow that up with the, the impressive, uh, win at Reno on Tuesday night. Uh, just got to say, congrats, man. Very, very happy for, for you and the guys.
2: No, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: So, three straight games uh, over quality opponents that so we talked about at Fresno State, Colorado State, UNR. Bryce Hamilton, 27 points uh, in the game uh, against Reno. Um, Kevin, you really didn't get much other production from from anybody else. I know we've talked about this before where you kind of like to see that balance and that and that scoring, but um, it, does it concern you that as you move towards the end of the season and getting ready for the conference tournament, hopefully the postseason here that you, you feel that you need to get, uh, you know, much more balance and you'd like to see maybe three or four double digit scores where, where Bryce doesn't have to carry the workload. Um,
2: I, I guess yes and no. Uh, you know, when we, if we're going to guard like that, I, I, I just, I didn't really feel like we had our best half offensively, but we we still played, played really well in Reno defensively. Um, so, but if, so if we're going to have nights like that, you know, there's going to be nights like that. And mm-hmm. if we guard the way we guarded, I think uh, it, it's less of a concern, mm-hmm. you know. And if we if we fight and compete and scratch and claw to get defensive stops, I think uh, that kind of allows you to have nights where guys, you know, not as many shots are going in or, or you're a little out of rhythm. And, and I think that's kind of what we did at Reno because we, we didn't have a great half uh, – uh, offensively, right. in the first half, but you know we stayed within four, and you know even and offensively, you know it kind of clicked in the second half, and, and we were pretty efficient. So as long as we're going to battle and scratch and claw defensively, I think uh, you know we'll, we'll have a chance to compete. And the field's a lot different, you know, during the game when you're when you're fighting and uh, scratching defensively.
0: Yeah, and I know how much you emphasize defense, and we all know that uh, you know, hey, the the adage is really true, right? I mean, defense does win championships it really doesn't matter what sport i mean you ha- you have to lock down you guys do a great job of that and you have that emphasis but for the moment here i want to talk ab- about the offensive end and we we see you know Bryce that you know he can go off and we've seen him go off for 42 we've seen him go off for you know 27 n- again the other night and everything what what is your message you know to the team just from an offensive philosophy standpoint you know, I mean, how, how much are you emphasizing, you know, whether it's, it's sharing the ball, specific sets, uh, or is it just, you know, kind of like, hey, I want to run this offense and then let's take the first good open shot, or what is the Kevin Krueger message to his team, basically, uh, not just, you know, from day one, but, you know, during the course of, of games and, and throughout the season as well, too?
2: Um, It's creating an advantage for a teammate, you know, that's what we, okay. we preach that, and, Obviously, Bryce is unique. You know, most guys struggle off the dribble. Most guys struggle in the mid-range. Whereas Bryce shoots a, a pretty efficient uh, clip for both. But we do encourage Bryce. You know, don't settle. You know, get two feet in the paint. Get as far as close to the hoop as you can get. And if you don't have it, uh, make the right play from there. And you know, we, we like to get the ball from side to side and, and get touches and get multiple driving kicks. And you know, Bryce is just the one this year that's probably had been the. It's, it's obviously been the largest. A benefactor of that because we got a lot of guys that are creating advantages and getting the defense moving. And I think uh, that's, you know, touching back on what makes Bryce unique is when he's got an advantage, you know, very rarely does it not end up in a good possession, whether it's a good shot for him, good shot for someone else, uh, even if it leads to an offensive rebound or just a good, solid quality shot that doesn't go in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's just a lot of that when the ball's moving and guys are moving and our space is good. Um, it's just it just has a different feel to it, and then we we do a lot better defensively when that's kind of what we're doing offensively.
0: All right? You know, and a lot of people they see Bryce, the number of shots that he puts up, and again, you know, uh, carrying you guys on, on some nights, and some people would, may have the misunderstanding that oh, that guy, I mean, he, he shoots too much, or he's a selfish guy, and that's really the farthest thing from the truth, isn't it?
2: Oh yeah, it couldn't be couldn't be farther from the truth. Yep. Bryce is just he's an aggressive basketball player. I mean, he's but every team's got a you know a leading scorer, yep. and every team's got guys that are counted on to to score it, and so and guys that are counted on to rebound it, guys that are counted on to defend. But you know, it, offense is just the one that gets the kind of gets the notoriety. But uh, now Bryce is not a selfish player; he enjoys making the right play. Um, and uh, but yeah, we're we're asking him to score and asking him to make plays.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and as you should, the guy is a phenomenal basketball player and in, in, in a great offensive talent. You know, this team has grown over the course of the season, and we've talked about that before, about, you know, they're playing for each other. I mean, they're defending well. They're playing with energy. They're playing with heart. And, you know, when, when you see this, where do you think that comes from? Is that something just from individual within? Is that just the... Uh, you preaching it you know from the get-go here where, where do you think this is a product you know coming from?
2: No, that's the guys. you know they love to compete they love to play hard, uh, they enjoy each other and I think that's just them. that's their their reputation and that's you know one of the reasons we brought a lot of these guys from the portal is because we knew them to be competitors and uh, and we just it's it's fun to be around guys that enjoy competing and enjoy playing and that's what this group does.
0: You know, I'm glad you mentioned the portal because, you know, when you go back, I want to go back like to the prior to this season, you know, you just got the job and you really worked this transfer portal exceptionally well. You got some big-time players from big-time programs. Uh, Obviously, you know, you knew the Big 12 very well. Your dad knew the Big 12, of course, at the time of Oklahoma there. What was your approach as you approached the transfer portal? Because this is still relatively new. For uh, a lot of college coaches here in, in basketball, where guys become immediately available to your program,
2: yeah, our approach was just to get guys, We had a little bit of a relationship with almost everyone, and uh, I think that's what made the our port, the portal a little different for us. We, you know, we had recruited Roy Sam out of high school. We had recruited Donovan Williams. Victor was obviously at Oklahoma, um, so we got to know him. Uh, you know, Jordan McKay. We watched a bunch in high school, but didn't necessarily have a personal. Uh, relationship there, uh, but uh, you know Justin Webster's dad played at Oklahoma when he hit the portal. So Jeff Webster, we knew him, and kind of down the line, David Wilker coming from Lamar. Uh, so we just knew they, that they were good guys that enjoyed competing, wanted bigger roles at the school they decided to go to, and uh, that was something we could we could offer.
0: Kevin, do you have a, like a, a plan as far as? how many guys you would like to get out of the transfer portal and like moving forward in comparison to you know getting guys you know out of high school to comprise your team or is that just something that is just totally wide open or cuz obviously we know that you have to have a recruiting plan uh in in a long term plan here I mean it is very difficult and you'll have so many scholarships to offer so what what is your mindset with that
2: yeah i don't know if they We'd say we have a specific number or a plan, but any time you can get guys from high school that you can be with and around and develop, uh, I think that would be preferred. But with the roster the way it was when we got here, um, only a couple guys deciding to return, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what that sweet spot number would be, but I think just uh, having got any time you can spend more time with guys, the better. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. So if, if you can get guys in your program that, that spend a year, even not as being the, the stars of the team, but kind of learning and understanding while you have guys that are already on the same page as the coaches and have some experience, I think that's ideal. Uh, there's a stat out there somewhere about the number of, of guys, or the, the time that was spent together from the four Final Four teams last year, and the amount of, and the, the, the games that guys had played together, and it was, well above the the national average for sure but even the average of the NCAA tournament teams so i th- i do think there's something to be said for that
0: yeah no doubt and we always hear about you know the teams that uh that have spent time together that, you know, a senior laden team because guys have spent two and three four years together and they're successful. They may not be uh, maybe the highest ranked teams, you know, over, you know, during the course of the season. But, you know, these are the teams that seem that they get on the runs together, uh, the familiarity. And obviously uh, that's that's very, very important. And uh, maybe he has has an advantage over you know the the, the one and done you know type of players or those type of programs that where you know these guys are not going to be together even though they're very very talented.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Kevin Kruger joins as head coach at UNLV, the Rebels, on a three game win streak, and they get ready to play Boise State here at the Thomas and Mack Center on Saturday. Um, Kevin, when you look at Las Vegas, uh, the high school scene here. Uh, what is, what what is your take? I mean, do you, do you kind of zero in like, Hey, I want to make sure that we keep the best talent home here in Las Vegas. Or are you just saying, Hey, with, like you said, the transfer portal, all this other kind of stuff. Now we're just going to take the the best possible fit, no matter where they come from, because a lot of coaches want to basically keep kids in their home state or their home city and that sort of thing. What, what is your approach with that? As you get ready for your, your second recruiting class coming up here?
2: I think anytime you can keep kids home, that'd be great. Um, I think there's 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 definitely an ele- a positive element to that. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's just about getting guys that want to be at UNLV, uh, not not be guys that want to be in Vegas, but guys that want to be at UNLV. Right. They want to play uh, for UNLV, and they want to be running rebels. And uh, you know, if you go back through the history, all the way back to Tark and even before, I think uh, UNLV has always been. Had rosters made up from guys all over the world, yep. and uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think, especially in today's uh, age of college basketball being such a, a global game, that it's just about finding the guys that want to be where they're at and and want to be on the on the team with the teammates that the guys they have around them. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, you guys are seventeen and eleven right now. Um, it sounds pretty good comparison to say where you were a, a few weeks back. Um, Getting ready for the Mountain West Conference tournament, but of course you still got plenty of work uh, left to do here. Uh, After 28 games, um, give me—you've kind of talked about some of the uh, the the highlights, but what do you think that you your guys still need to improve upon at this point in time, right now? What would you like to see them do better?
2: Well, I think we can. You can always defend better. Um, I think even though you know we've had a really good stretch the last month or so defensively. Uh, there's always things that you can tighten up there. Uh, and then just continue to gel offensively. I think uh, we've done that. We've gotten a lot better since day one. But uh, this is a situation where they got, I think we've gotten better, and we've continued to get better. And so I think that's just something that uh, there's not necessarily something I feel we don't do well, but I think there are a lot of things that we can still continue to improve on. You know, you can always uh, – you know i guess that you know you can always kind of try to just push yourself a little more work a little harder and and kind of see where those results come from but I, i'm really proud of them i think the guys have battled like crazy uh they've dealt with a lot of stuff being 10 new guys uh in a in a, at a new with a first-time head coach uh, so um, i'm just really proud of, of what they've done this year and and how much growth they've made uh as a team and i'm uh, just kind of hoping we, we keep getting better.
0: From a chemistry standpoint, I mean, obviously those results can uh, tr- transfer, you know, two wins. And I think we're, we're seeing that talk about the chemistry from say the beginning uh, of the season to where it is right now.
2: Well, yeah, I think that's one thing. Our chemistry has been great. I think this group, they like each other. Uh, they, you know, they work hard. Um, they, they challenge each other, but they also, uh, you know, respect each other and, and enjoy when other guys do well. And I think that's what's uh, led to the growth throughout the year um, and how we've continued to get better. It's uh, chemistry's been good. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they they enjoy working, and uh, I think when you when you enjoy working and, and competing with each other, that's where that's where teams get better. Mm-hmm.
0: I know that uh, every game is important for you. Every, every win is important for you. You don't like looking ahead. But you got to be satisfied with coming off a couple of series sweeps. To Colorado State, who is one of the top teams in the conference, and then of course you've got Reno, which UNLV hasn't swept that season series since the 2012 slash 13 season. Um, do you do you talk about that at all? And we know that you got guys from all over the country; and they probably don't fully understand the rivalry. And I think for a lot of fan bases the rivalry is more about the fan bases or the alumni and that sort of thing what have you talked to these guys about as far as that rivalry with Reno
2: yeah I mean the, the first time we played them I think you you know you hit the nail on the head it's it's hard to it's hard to make somebody understand a rivalry without living it yeah. and uh, so you know we kind of went down the line and asked each guy where you know who was their the team they dislike the most or who's their rival for where they're from or growing up. Even we had a couple guys even mentioned uh, back even to their high school days. And, and that's kind of what we expressed was how, uh, what this rivalry is like for UNLV that uh, that's our, our in-state rival, even though it's not our closest by proximity to the, in our conference even, but uh, that's our in-state rival. And, and that's what uh, people around here enjoy uh, probably just seeing us win that one more more than any other we have.
0: So, what was that for you? Did you give your own personal example? What, what, what was your, your uh, heated rival, whether it was high school or college, for you?
2: Uh, well, I mean, I spent four years at ASU, so, yeah. you know, the Arizona would probably be mine. Uh, right. But being in Vegas, you know, uh, the year I played here, then the immediate years after, you know, you always say BYU, uh, San Diego State, and then, of course, Reno's definitely in that. But then when when Reno and UNLV became in the, the you know conference competitors. I think uh, Greeno probably uh, jumped to the top of the list.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, uh fifth place, you guys are sitting right now uh behind Boise, Wyoming, Colorado State, San Diego State, and then there you guys are, and it just seems like you're you're climbing up here. Um, what have you guys talked about as far as you and your assistant coaches, maybe even with the guys, as far as the seating goes for the conference tournament? Is there a specific spot that obviously you'd love to you know have the number one seat? I understand that, but is there there's something you guys have been shooting for during the course of this season?
2: Uh, There's nothing really we brought up to them, you know, because we really do, we can't be caught looking ahead with the way that our, I mean, our gauntlet of a schedule for a finish. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons the guys have had some success, you know, not looking ahead, just playing each game, not worried about the standings or who's playing who or who would play what. But I mean, of course, everybody knows who gets, you know, the five get the bye, you know, and this or that, that's kind of just understood, but. Um, the guys have done what they need to do by, by I think a lot by a lot of uh, aspects, just not looking ahead, just uh, playing the game on the on the day and and uh, being okay going to sleep at night with whatever effort we put forth uh, regardless of the result.
0: I know you feel pretty good about where you guys are at right now, especially, you know, this is where you want to get hot at, at the tail end of the season, go into your conference term, and, and you're doing that. Uh, have you, you know, reflected back on this? I mean, is, are, are you ahead of where you thought that you would be or a little bit surprised, honestly? Uh, you know, t- take us through your, your mind uh, for where you're at right now in comparison, maybe where you thought you'd be.
2: Yeah, I mean, it'd be hard to say exactly. Um, you know, we dealt with a lot of injuries early on in the year, uh, a lot of rotations uh, and lineups that we had to ask guys to do things they weren't uh, necessarily used to doing or or expecting to doing when they got to do when they got here. So, I think a lot of that, you know, you you kind of assume everybody's or and hope everybody's going to be healthy every single game, and so you have certain goals. And I think uh, lately we're, we're kind of seeing. Or Vegas, or and everybody's kind of seeing the the type of play that we envisioned uh, in the past, last summer uh, when everybody came together. And uh, it, it'd be hard to say right now because we're still full go in the thick of it. But maybe uh, maybe after the season, you and I can sit down and and be on the show again and take a deep breath and <laughs> and figure out uh, what we thought of the year.
0: Right. All right. He is Kevin Kruger, and they're getting ready to play Boise State at the Thomas and Mack Center on. Saturday, get out there, support the rebels, Kevin. Uh, you played Boise uh, a couple weeks back. Uh, you guys played pretty well, but you'll, you end up losing sixty nine sixty three. Uh, what do you take away uh, from that game? As you get ready to look a uh, look ahead to the rematch here.
2: Oh, I thought we fought, we competed. Um, you know, like we, we've been doing all year. Uh, we just needed to make a couple more plays. Uh, Boise made some plays uh, toward the end to keep us at arm's length, but uh i thought we did a really good job going into a hostile environment with a really good team that had won i think 14 of 15 at that point in a row and or 14 out of the last 15 or what or something to that to that effect and and we went toe to toe with them and a couple possessions you know we gave ourselves a chance to win the game in the last few minutes with which we you know when you're at a at a team like boise and in that environment i think uh you know you want to just put yourself in a position to win the game and and I thought we did that we just came up a little short
0: yeah in that game you guys played an exceptional first half and know you had a seven point lead at the half and it kind of got away from you a little bit uh in the second where they outscored you by by 13 but again it was it, it was close uh you know down the stretch here and when you look forward to Saturday's game and you look at this matchup with Boise, what concerns you most about them
2: oh' uh, there's really good. <laughs> they're really good they uh they play well together uh they draw a lot of fouls they're really physical um they share the ball they've got some guys that shoot it really well they've got some guys that you know play their roles uh, and rebound and defend really well so they're just a really good team uh overall and i think they're they're secure they're confident um so i think uh, that one of the things we've just got to understand is we've got to you know keep the gas to the to the to the floor for the entire game. Know it's going to be a, a fight, but uh, also understand that we we've, we've got to fight and scratch the, the entire game, and 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 we might be down two, you know, with four minutes left, and we got to be okay with that. We just got to we've got to know that it's going to be a battle.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, they get to the free throw. I know they got to the free throw line 29 times compared to I think seven for you guys in that game, and that's you know that that's. That's always treacherous when when a team gets to the line that much, but that's what they do. I mean they they work their way to the line quite a bit.
2: They do, they do. They're big. They 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 their guards post. Their big battle and, and fight. And yeah, we just fouled them too much. Uh, we, we used our hands too much guarding them, and, and we just we we can't put them at the line twenty nine times here and expect to have a good result. Uh, uh, so that one uh, that's definitely a learning point from watching the film last time is. Uh, we've just got to do a better job sliding our feet and uh and beating guys to spots and uh, and just kind of keep our hands out of it
0: all right. three games left, two of them are at home, Boise State Saturday at seven o'clock. then you guys uh are back home again to, to close out the regular season of the Thomas and Mac against Wyoming uh that'll be Wednesday, and then you go on the road on uh, a week from Saturday uh at New mexico so uh it could be tough, especially the way. Uh, you know, Boise State and Wyoming are playing, um, you know, right now. It's been a while since you guys faced Wyoming. I know you don't want to look ahead here, but uh, it just seems like, you know, that with Boise and Wyoming and Colorado State and San Diego State, and you guys, I mean, anybody can beat anybody on any given night. And you throw Fresno State and even Utah State in there because they're starting to get it together again. I mean, Kevin, this is going to be a wild Mountain West Conference tournament.
2: I think so. I think, uh, you know, we've seen – that uh, anybody in the conference can beat anybody. Um, And even if if the upset didn't happen, we've had a lot of close games where games weren't expected to be so close. So I think the Mountain West tournament will be uh, as exciting and uh, eventful as it's been in quite a while.
0: Final thing for you as you know, you look ahead to the final three games and then you get into the conference tournament here. And if you have to plead your case, uh, whether it's to the guys or the committee or whatever to maybe get an at large obviously you win the tournament you're you're going to the NCAA tournament um what what is your take and what is your message uh to everybody here about you know this final drive
2: i think it's just we we can't change anything we've been doing just keep uh keep working keep uh keep your head down uh play you know all we can do is worry about getting better today and you know whatever happens at the end happens at the end but We've got to be okay uh, every night with uh, the work and the investment we put mm-hmm. in uh, during the day.
0: Is this the best uh, co- uh, conference that you, have with the Mountain West, where it's at right now, that you've seen the last few years? As far as I don't think there's any question.
2: It's, yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any question. It's the best the conference has been, uh, with the, possibly the exception of the first year of the expansion. Uh, I think you've got four teams that are looking like they're going to get in, and uh, it's, I think it's been a while since we had four. So. Mm-hmm and then all, all four of them are, are threats to win a game or, or multiple games in the NCAA tournament. And I think it's been a while since the Mountain West could say that. So I think it's as competitive, as as deep, as good as uh, it's been potentially, possibly ever.
0: You got it. All right, my friend, we'll let you get back to work. Really appreciate you spending time uh, again today. And uh, good luck uh, on Saturday. Be rooting you on as uh, you guys take on the Boise State Broncos.
2: All right, thank you.
0: You got it, brother. All right, there he is, All Kevin right. Kruger. Appreciate him, as always. Again, that schedule coming up Saturday against Boise State. Get out to the Thomas & Mack Center. Get your tickets. You only have two regular season home games left. And then Wednesday night against Wyoming, both teams are towards the top tier of the Mountain West Conference at, at the top. The top two teams right now. Boise's in first, and Wyoming is currently in second. UNLV sits fifth. So how strange is that, that we're talking about Boise, Wyoming, Colorado State, 1-2-3 in the Mountain West Conference standings. Oh, and San Diego State is fourth. That seems a little bit strange. But you know, come tournament time, San Diego State is going to be there. They're going to come strong. And Utah State as well, too, because we've seen those two schools really uh, duke it out over the the last several seasons. So looking forward to it. Get out there. Get your tickets. Thomas & Mack Center, 7 o'clock, coming up Saturday Boise State against UNLV. When we come back, Scott Spreitzer joins us, and we talk college basketball tonight. Who needs an anima when you can tune in to the Dr. T.C. Martin? Love this time of year because you have meaningful college basketball games night in and night out. A uh, great uh, weekend action as well, too. So looking forward to it all. Stretch run. And we dive into it with our handicapper extraordinaire, the one and only Scott Spritzer. What is up, my man? How you doing, TC? I'm good, man. You know how much I love this time of year, man. It's just like you. We love we love the college hoops. We love handicapping it. And uh, I, I know it's been good. It's been profitable as well, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, it has. It's been a really nice run, and we got on another one the past week or so, and then doing my capping last night, and I'm like, there's 70 games tomorrow, and I think I like one. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So it's crazy card today, and then, of course, Friday, Saturday, especially Saturday, we get back into some good matchups. But, um, yeah, it has been nice, and this is probably today or tonight, the first card I'm going to say in at least at least 10 days to two weeks where I've had to really search for plays rather than cut down the amount of plays because we've had so many great cards I've thought over the last week or so. All
0: right. Well, Scott, we just got in uh, talking to Kevin Kruger and you know this UNLV team is on a nice little run themselves. They've won uh, 3 in a row and you know from a betting standpoint uh, if you've been back in the Rebels, and, and I, I've been on them, uh, they've covered five out of their last six games. And, uh, you know, they've won several of these games outright as, as underdogs as well, too. Uh, have you been partaking in any of this uh, Rebel action? Yeah, a little bit. And, what's you know, I was doing
3: a show, what was it, Tuesday when they played Reno. So I was doing a show earlier in the day and the line had already moved from Pickham to Nevada minus three.
0: Yeah. So when
3: I did the show, I was like, you know, I was thinking about jumping on the Wolf Pack at a great spot at Pickham, but at three, you know, this is like time to jump on the Rebels at this point. You know, and, and so it's what Kevin Kruger has done with this group of almost all newcomers to get them to find a chemistry, play well together, Bryce Hamilton giving him free reign to do what he does, a you know, future NBA baller, I mean, it's been great to watch. Kevin Kruger was a fantastic hire. But you know, and I was saying that by the way before the season began. Yep. this team has gone from a power rating of 153rd in the nation back on December 5th, coming off a three-game losing streak and had lost five of the last six, 153rd in the nation to currently sitting 79th in the nation, which is a massive jump. And I'll tell you right now, if they can win these next two home games, the second-to-last and last home games this Saturday, and then what next Wednesday against mm-hmm. Boise and Wyoming. You know, by the time they play at New Mexico to wrap up the regular season on March 5th, we're talking about a team that could be in the top 70, which is a huge, and I know that doesn't sound great if, excuse me, if you're just an average fan, common fan, but there's 358 programs or whatever now in Division I basketball. You know, they're talking about a team that could be power rated in the top 70 uh, if they win these next three games, final three games of the season. And who in the heck wants to play UNLV? In the Mount West Conference Tournament. Nobody. Nobody. Now, this is a team, if they could win the postseason conference tournament, would you really be shocked if they pulled off a win in the opening round of the Big Dance?
0: No. 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 The way they're playing right now, and, you know, we talk to Kevin all the time, and watching this team, Scott, what I like about it is that they play hard, they're diving for loose balls, they play with energy and emotion, and they've bought in to what he's teaching, and that is on the defensive side. I mean, they will lock you down. Even though they weren't playing that well offensively, I mean, they are pretty dreadful offensively against Reno in that first half, but they are only down four at the half because of their grittiness. And then right. they just they stuck to the course, and in the second half, boom, look what they did. And what they did to Colorado State as fourteen-point underdogs and winning by fourteen at their play at Colorado State a couple of weeks earlier, and then to come back home as another underdog and win by twenty-one, uh, that game was never in question. And this is a series sweep against Colorado State, one of the top teams in the Mountain West Conference and, and a veteran team, and you know, so that's impressive. And I cannot just say enough, uh, you know, how how happy I am about. What is happening here at u n l v because you and I both said the same thing? This was the hire they needed to make, and there's there 's no uh, there 's no downside to this whatsoever, and he worked the transfer portal beautifully. And he got experienced guys that played. You know, you got four guys that are coming from the Big Twelve Conference, from mm-hmm. you know that have played in, in NCAA tournament games before. No, and then the bottom line is they have meshed, they have gelled together as a team, and you're, they're playing their best basketball at the end. So, yeah, it's just too bad that guys like you and I are are just the few that are really talking about this team, and yeah. it's, it's it's too bad that they're still only getting like six thousand of the Thomas and Mack Center.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen a couple of times this year where it looked like there were maybe 3,000 people in attendance. Oh, yeah. Embarrassing. I get it. You've got the Golden Knights now. You've got the Raiders. It costs a whole lot of money, you know, because you have to go through these ticket agencies and all this kind of stuff to be able to go to games. I I, I completely understand that. And if you're our age, TC, like, you know, I got here in the summer of 84 when I was 17, so I got to see a whole lot of great basketball from the fall of 84 until Tark left, what was that, 91 or 92, 92 or whatever. Yep, yep. And, and so I'm sitting there and I'm watching, you know, top five in the nation basketball for the most part for a good eight or nine years. And I get it. It's tough. I've been to a couple of UNLV games, you know, in the past couple of years before Kruger al- arrived when it, it's, it's almost sad. You know, we're watching games and you're almost like you're, you're remembering, you're reminding your child of how great it once was. We were Duke. We were you know, teams that are down at the top. We were Gonzaga, Auburn, all these teams that are playing well now, Baylor. And and all of a sudden now we're, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel at times. So Kruger comes in. And listen, I thought TGO was a good hire. You know, but guess what? I don't think he would have registered on the radar over the course of time in Las Vegas, you know, like Kruger is and will continue to do so. TGO is in the right spot for him in Ames, Iowa. good basketball coach and he's probably going to see some success. And I like his coaching for the most part. We not only get Kruger, we get his dad Lon if he needs to talk to somebody and, and work things out. I mean, how cool is that? And then it, it, just to tell you how much those of us who really follow this, uh, this game and all these teams as close as it gets, you know, for betting purposes, they go to halftime the other day against Reno. You mentioned it wasn't great in the first half. Their shots weren't falling like you would hope. And, you know, I think they scored eight points in the final 10 or 11 minutes of the opening half. And they're down three or four, whatever it was, at halftime. And I remember getting a text from another bettor here in town who actually got Nevada early on overnight when it was Pickham, played them because he thought it was a good anti-spot with UNLV. And he's up 26-23, and he got it at a pick. And he texts me, and he goes, I might as well throw this ticket in the trash or play UNLV in the second half. It's a close game. UNLV hasn't had their best game, yet they're within three. And then he came out and he said, he goes, we know who's going to own the coaching adjustments in the second half. And it ain't going to be Steve Alford. Right. You know, and, and look what happened. They came out, they adjusted, played extremely well. Uh, where well, they outscore them by, I think it was 10 or 11 points in the second half. And they go on and get the victory. So, Listen, man, I'm not a homer. You know that. I do root for UNLV basketball when I don't have my money against them. It's just nice to have a coach who knows what he's doing, knows how to relate to the program because he played here for a couple of years. His dad coached here for a few years and just the mind that he has to be able to make adjustments and his players to buy in. I hate to go on and on here, but I'm just saying it's just exciting to watch again over at the Thomas and Mac. And people ought to get out there and support it because this is just the beginning of, I think, some really cool things to happen over the next couple of years.
0: You got it. All right, Scott Spritzer joins us, and let's turn our attention to what's on the docket here tonight. Number one, Gonzaga is uh, playing USF tonight at the old War Memorial Gym. I thought this line might come in a little bit higher, Scott. like uh, It usually is around 13-14 when uh, Gonzaga's come to, to USF, but it's uh, down to 10, 10.5. 10 uh, give me some thoughts on Gonzaga-USF tonight. Yeah,
3: I made it 11.5, and like you said, now it's basically 10.5 for the most part. There's a couple of 10s out there. I did see one book in Las Vegas just go to 11, so some money coming in a little bit right now on Gonzaga. Listen, this is a game that I think could be decided by anywhere from 7 to 17 points. Mm -hmm. And I stayed off of it uh, because of where the line was. And, you know, again, I wanted to play San Francisco if I could have got 12 or 13 points, and that's not what we're getting, so I had to pass it. You know, when you talk about Gonzaga, I mean, yeah, they're number two in the nation in effective field goal percentage on offense. They're number one in the nation in effective field goal percentage on defense. Tops of the nation in two-point shooting. Uh, top 25 and three-point shooting on both ends of the court, which is crazy. You don't see that. But, again, we saw them early on in the season go up against athletic basketball teams, talking about Duke and Alabama. And I know they beat UCLA, uh, but a lot of things that didn't come out before that game, the day before, is that UCLA was suffering what was believed to be potentially some uh, food poisoning. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys were not feeling too good as far as Nazi was concerned. And they looked that way when they played that game against uh, Gonzaga. But you watch the game against Duke, you watch the game against Alabama. When they go up against ultra-athletic teams, they can be beaten. And again, not often, but once in a while. I don't think San Francisco is going to beat them outright, but if I had to play it, I would lean that way. I think San Francisco is certainly deserved uh, of being a top 25 power-rated team. I think Ken Palm has him. In his top 25, and that's basically where lines originate now, based on what he thinks when it comes to power ratings. So I do. I think San Francisco can hang around for a while. The pace that San Francisco plays is not ultra quick, like Gonzaga, who's like fourth in the nation in quick paces. So that bothers me a little bit because if the San Francisco shots are off a little bit, playing at Gonzaga's preferred pace can eventually hurt them. Uh, But, again, if I had to jump on this game, it would be to take the points with San Francisco, who had that loss to St. Mary's, which was tough, had a tough loss to Portland a couple of weeks ago after beating Portland three days earlier. It was a tough spot. So they've lost a couple of the games they should have won, but for the most part, it's a good basketball team. They've actually made me some money this year, San Francisco. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, again, it's – you know, we always talk to the, the seven footer about this and he says, Hey, if, if we make our shots, uh, you know, we're, we can beat almost anybody. And when you have the guard play that they have with Boya and, uh, Shabazz, I mean, oh. yeah, they, they could be there. And I remember you know, watching the game three weeks ago when they played Gonzaga, uh, they were only trailing by three at the half and then Gonzaga ended up uh, winning by 16 in that game. But traditionally, when they play in San Francisco, these games are close. So, We'll see what happens uh, tonight. Like you said, the line pretty much ten and a half, um, you know, and and, and eleven is that we're looking at here. I want to go to the I want to go to the Big Ten here, uh, Scott, tonight, and we've got a game featuring Ohio State and Illinois. Um, you know, two teams uh, within the top, uh, you know, you know, twenty there. Illinois. A, uh, a, I saw this line open. I think at six or six and a half. I think it's up to seven and a half now. But uh, you know, the Illini with Kofi Coburn, you know, down low, he is going to be a beast to handle for Ohio State. The Buckeyes don't have a whole bunch of size, even though Liddell plays a little bit bigger, um, you know, than his size. But uh, how do you see Illinois and Ohio State tonight in Champaign?
3: Yeah, I was going to lay the chalk, and then it came a little bit too high. You know, I was hoping for six. You know, just by the way, my power ratings uh, come out, and it's seven and a half. One of those reasons is that uh, Liddell is questionable. Uh, this probably came out in the last hour or so, at least that's when I saw. Uh, he's got – apparently he has the flu. And from the way it sounds, it's non-COVID related. It's just the regular flu. And so because of that, we've seen this line move a little bit because when you talk about Liddell, you're talking you know, 20 points, eight rebounds, and about three assists per game. And, you know, they don't have anybody to go up against Kofi, really, if he's out of this contest. So, for that reason, if I had to play this game, I would jump on Illinois and lay the seven, seven and a half. But I would certainly wait and see if Liddell is going to be out on the floor shortly before game time. If he's going to be suited up, have the uh, shoes laced up and all that kind of stuff and looking like he's going to play, you know, then I wouldn't want to have to lay seven and a half and would maybe think about taking the Buckeyes. You know, Ohio State's kind of like San Francisco in in that if – They make their shots. They can beat anybody in the country. If they're a little bit off, they can lose to anybody in the country. You know, we saw them get pounded, you know, a couple of times this year when the shots went off. When they played the Iowa Hawkeyes, you know, they get beat by double digits in that one. Iowa's a good basketball team. You know, But when they get beat by Indiana by 16 last month, it's another situation where they couldn't get out their own way on the offensive end. But they're a quality shooting basketball team for the most part. They just have stretches once in a while where they go cold. And if you do that against Illinois, a team that plays really well on the defensive end, uh, you're going to be in trouble. Illinois holds, by the way, their opponents on this season, 26 games in, to 44% two-point shooting. That's 14th in the country. That's hard to overcome, especially if Liddell is not going to play tonight. All
0: right. So uh, probably the game of the night. It's over in the Pac-12. UCLA is playing Oregon. UCLA, a, a, a small favorite here. Now it's 2 and a half. I believe it opened at 4, and uh, now they're a two and a half point road favorite. UCLA has had some injuries with Johnny Juzang. Uh, not exactly sure if uh, Tiger Campbell, their point guard, is going to play tonight. But this Oregon team, Scott, is... Kind of Jekyll and Heidish. And I know the game against Arizona the other night, they played Arizona tough. Probably should have won that game. And they ended up losing by three on the road in Tucson. But uh, I remember seeing the game when they played UCLA going back a few weeks ago. And it was much to my surprise that I turned on the TV and all of a sudden, boom! There's an empty poly Pavilion, and that just came down at the last minute, where uh, the Los Angeles County and, and down there in Southern California said, "Hey, no fans or whatever," and that place was a, was like a morgue, and uh, UCLA was like playing asleep, and it was really advantage Oregon in, in that in that uh, in that game, and Oregon basically you know, kind of went wire to wire in that game. I think uh, if you like the Ducks here, you may be on to something. I think that's why the line is moving down a little bit, considering that the Ducks seem to match up pretty well with the Bruins and the, the Ducks are playing well uh, on their home floor and usually play well uh, in the months of uh, February and March.
3: Yeah, I'm kind of shocked not that they lose to Arizona last time out, which, by the way, was only a three-point loss in Tucson. Right. You know, that's a game they could have won, so Arizona – Again, they're one of the, you know, after Gonzaga, they're second or third, depending on if you got them in front of or in back of Kentucky. So they have the ability to beat Arizona on the road or come extremely close to it, to beat, as you mentioned, UCLA on the road or lose and, you know, in, or go to overtime and win that game. But the bottom line is I don't understand why this team can just fall apart sometimes, get blown out by Arizona State, for instance, you know, get beat by double digits by Cal. Yep. You know, this is a team that also, by the way, with about nine minutes to go in the game – They were tied with Baylor, one of the top five power-rated teams in college basketball. Ended up losing by eight, but they're tied, you know, midway through the second half. So it's been a very odd season for Oregon, but I don't want to go against them here. I think it's the Ducks or nothing. Dana Altman, to me, still a top ten college basketball coach. And he, as you mentioned, always gets his team going in February and in March. This is a very scary spot, I think, if you're the Bruins. And the thing about Oregon, you know, they're not bad on offense. They don't put up great numbers from the three-point line, but they can shoot pretty darn well from inside that three-point line and occasionally get hot from behind the arc. The smart thing they've done this year, because they're not a great three-point shooting team, is their three-point-to-overall-shots ratio is low. They don't take a bunch of threes because they're not great at a bunch of threes. I like them here tonight. I think they get the upset, TC. All
0: right. What else do you like tonight, Scott?
3: I'm going to throw one at you that yep. I, I kind of like here, but I, I got to give a, the warning that I really hate going against good teams with small lines when they're only favored by a few points when they're in their home finale. Yet I did. <laughs> so there you go. You know, last night I took Missouri State home finale, good basketball team off a loss. I took Belmont plus three over Murray State. That number's still around three. I think it's the best game on the board tonight from, you know, what these two teams have done throughout the course of the year. You're talking about two of the hottest teams in the country, TC, that are going at it tonight. And Belmont has a little bit of a revenge factor tonight after a really bad performance earlier this season. They were actually a six-point favorite over top 25 Murray State and then got run out of their own gym. Murray State beat them by 22. They made 14 of 25 three-pointers, which is the equivalent of 21 of 25 two-pointers. And outside the arc, they outscored Belmont 42-15 to 15 in that game. They were just red-hot. They weren't going to get beat by anybody. Uh, they're on a big run. Belmont's on a big run. But I'm a little bit concerned that Murray just struggled to beat Tennessee Martin. They just struggled to beat Moorhead State. Belmont's won 10 in a row. They've covered 12 in the last 15 when getting points over the past couple of years. And check this out. Belmont is the second most accurate two-point shooting team in all of college basketball, just behind Gonzaga. They make 61.4% of their two-point shots. I think they're going to pull the upset tonight. It's not a big play because, again, I hate going against good basketball teams in their home finale, but I think Belmont gets them tonight.
0: All right. Uh, good stuff there. Uh, the Belmont Bruins in, in action tonight. Um, anything else that uh, tricks your trigger a little bit? I played Boston
3: yesterday or last night, I should say, when they were laying six and a half, seven. Now they're all the way up to nine. I think it's a real tough spot for the, uh, the Nets as they come off the All-Star break. And I'm not real big on NBA until you get each team to play a game coming off the All-Star break, giving them a chance to shake off the rust or, you know, they're still thinking about the vacation or whatever. But because the Nets are missing a ton of key parts tonight, T.C., along with the ongoing absence of Kevin Durant, you know, Kyrie Irving's ineligible playing at home. So uh, they won't have Goran Dragic, who's new to the team. They won't have Ben Simmons, who's new to the team tonight. Uh, they will have Seth Curry, which I think was – an underrated, kind of flew-under-the-radar acquisition last week. Seth Curry's going to give them the ability to shoot more consistently than a lot of the guys they've had, and he won't cause the problems that Harden potentially was with Durant. And then you got Boston, healthiest team in the NBA. Robert Williams is expected back. Mark is smart. They have zero players on the injury list right now, the Celtics. I mean, you just don't see that right now in the NBA. So I went ahead last night. I laid the seven. It's up to nine. I still say even at nine. That it's Boston or nothing
0: in this game. Yeah, we remember that game a couple of weeks ago when Boston uh, defeated the Nets by thirty five points. I mean, just what a shellacking that was, and that was in the midst of the Nets uh, you know falling apart here. And again It was twenty eight to three at yeah, one it, point of the game. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. E- exactly. I mean you had one team score four touchdowns, and the other team could barely get muster a field goal there. <laughs> so yeah, they uh, didn't have uh, Tom Brady to lead them back, you it, know. I mean <laughs> th- there's the magic score, twenty eight to three. There you go. Uh yeah, the NBA I don't, you know, I don't know how many plays that you're you're playing a night here, Scott. Uh, if you're being ultra conservative here, or if you're finding out some some good spots, but we know that you know a lot of the general public they just they're not paying too close attention to the NBA, you know, right now until the postseason comes. But then you know, again, you know, with all the drama that you're having here with Harden and Simmons, and and you mentioned Kyrie Irving. I mean, it's just it's kind of a hard product to really watch and even get behind at this point in time.
3: Well, you know what I did? And I decided this before the season began, a couple of days before the season began. I thought it's going to be a weird season again because you've got the COVID issue. You've got guys who are going to, you know, miss games. I don't want to get caught with a card of, let's say, four or five NBA plays on a given day. And, you know, you find out an hour before, a half hour, 15 minutes before tip off that, you know, four out of your five bets just saw key players going down because they tested positive for COVID throughout the course of the day. That was the big concern before the season began. That, that you know has lessened a little bit. But what I decided to do, TC, is maybe at the very most, I'm going two plays per day, and most days one play per day in the NBA. And I'm going to knock on wood here, and I would appreciate if you knock on whatever's around there, whatever material. Formica, there had... it is.
0: I got the Formica going right now. There you go. There you go.
3: <laughs> Formica works. 96 <laughs> plays so far. Actually, 98 because there's been two pushes for me. But 96 plays that have won or lost. We've won 62 of them, which is 65%. Uh, through or going into the All Star break here, we're up over $11,500. Those are things I've never said before this deep into an NBA season. You know, I'm happy when I go 55%, 56%, as most betters are. So, knock on wood, again, it's been a dream season. And, again, I've rarely been caught by, you know, 15 minutes before tip-off, a a key player or two are affected by COVID. And I think just narrowing down, keeping it for the most part, one play per day, two tops – has kept me away from a lot, a lot of potential pitfalls throughout the course of this season.
0: Yeah, and a lot of stress as well, too. There you go. Absolutely, right? <laughs>
3: and you need luck, too, by the way. You've got to have luck, and there's been a lot of I mean, to get to 65%, 100 games into the season that you played, you need some luck to go your way also, and we're hoping to continue that throughout the rest of the regular season.
0: DocSports.com, that's where you get Scott's plays. Sign up, go check it out. Fantastic. We always appreciate him uh, sharing some plays with us here as well, too. He is a great handicapper, a great fan, and you know what else, Scott Sprites is he is our on-the-spot reporter because you never know where he's going to be he's going to be at restaurants he's going to be posting food pictures like myself or he'll be in sports books telling us that shecky green got escorted out of a, of a sportsbook what, what's going on there scott you got the inside scoop there shecky green yeah i, I saw a person on twitter
3: uh, uh, uh definitely a, a a solid source who tweeted out that you know, I guess he was there, but Shecky Green, who I didn't even know was alive, and I don't mean to <laughs> disrespect, but he's 95 years old, so forgive me already. But the bottom line is, apparently today at the Green Valley Station, he was led out of the race book, uh, uh, you know, apparently again, um, after getting into a beef with a fellow horse better, and it was reported on by this person on Twitter, so I'm not breaking the news, right. that it was heard that he was told by a security guard, you cannot threaten to shoot a person in a sports book. Oh, geez. <laughs> so if this is true, you know, I mean, obviously there's some truth to what he was let out of a sports book, a race book, and the person, again, again who originated the tweet, it's funny as could be, you know, he said that this happened. And I'm like, yeah, I said to my daughter, I go, who's the, who's the like, standout comedian of your day, of your age? My daughter's going to be 18 in June. And she goes, I don't know, maybe Kevin Hart. I go, imagine Kevin Hart when he's 90 years old, this happening to. Now, you know why I'm laughing and why I think this is crazy stuff. Apparently, Shecky's a big horse player. He loves playing exactives. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I knew that a couple years ago. I didn't know he was still around until today.
0: Wow, Shecky Green uh, rolling around Green Valley Ranch uh, with a rolled-up uh, uh, program there. There it, is. there it is. Come on, Seven! Come on, Seven! <laughs> Unbelievable. That's uh, great stuff. Uh, don't forget, uh, Scott, uh, tell Sarah, uh, Kevin Hart coming to the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas here uh, over the 4th of July weekend. There you go, my I friend. will let her know. Breaking Kevin's news. awesome, by the way. There it is. Yeah, good stuff. All right, my man. I appreciate you, as always. Good luck. Keep hitting them hard, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care, TC. Thanks, man. You got it. There it is. We got a Shecky Green Take- sighting at Green Valley Ranch. There you go. Got escorted out a little bit earlier. Look at that. Look at that breaking news. All right. Appreciate Kevin Kruger joining us today. The head coach of UNLV, Bob Nightingale, talking to us about the Major League Baseball lockout in Jupiter, Florida. And, uh, of course, uh, Scott Spreitzer. Appreciate him, as always, as well, too. And Kalani Brown, the newest member of the Las Vegas Aces. Yes, 6'7", Kalani Brown, the daughter of P.J. Brown. As uh, We look forward to seeing her wearing the uniform of the Las Vegas Aces once the season starts here in a couple months. Tomorrow, uh, I will be out of town. So you know what that means? We've got the best of show tomorrow. That's right. we got the best of we've got guests from uh, the Cosmopolitan um, Showtime Sean Porter. We've got Curtis Terry We've got our Bulls boys Bill Cartwright and BJ Armstrong Tim Brando Uh, Steve Burline signing there as well, too. We'll talk food. We'll talk all kinds of stuff. So there you have it. Uh, So no live show tomorrow at the Cosmopolitan, but you have the best of show. So make sure you tune in tomorrow. You'll enjoy that with all of our great guests, uh, some of the best moments of the uh, T.C. Martin Show uh, during the past month or so. All right. you miss any part of any of the shows, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one. Listen to the show tomorrow at 2, and I will be back with you live Monday at 2 p.m. Have a great weekend.